The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David had one desire, to worship the Lord, to gather in His house and worship with Him. This morning is a little different for us. We can't gather in the sanctuary. We're in our homes, our living rooms, our bedrooms. Maybe you haven't got out of your pajamas yet. But we're excited that we can gather together, knowing that the church isn't a building, it's the people. And so we want to continue to encourage you to remain connected. Take out the church directory. Make a couple phone calls. Send an email or a picture to someone that maybe you haven't talked to or seen in a while. Reach out to one of our missionaries that are continuing to serve and minister across the globe. Maybe uh, say hi to that neighbor. Uh, reach out to the coworker who's also still working from home. Encourage you to stay connected uh, during this time of just uncertainty. One of the things that we're excited about is an opportunity we have to stay together, connected as the Chapel family. And so we started a private Facebook group. It's called COTL Hub the Chapel of the Lake Hub. And so you can find that. It's a private Facebook group that's meant just for our church family. It's a place where we can stay connected, where we can share pictures, we can talk about prayer requests. Maybe you have a need or are looking for advice. Mom and dad is trying to figure out what do we do with the kids who are home, stuck at home all day long. So we'll be providing different uh, advice, different content, um, different church announcements maybe. Uh, but really it's just a place for each one of us to be able to stay connected since we can't be in the building together. One of the other things that we're missing out on this morning and as we continue to be away from our church building is the opportunity to worship through giving. And so by the end of this week, we'll have online giving set up for you. Uh, you can find that. We'll have a link on our website. We'll send out an email to give you all the details there. Uh, but things are still happening around the church. We're working on things like this live stream. Uh, our missionaries are continuing to work and minister around the globe as well as locally. So we encourage you to, to continue to worship through your giving, whether that's through the new online giving or you just drop your uh, check in the mail or set up online bill pay through your own bank. I encourage you to stay involved that way. Maybe there's a specific need that you have. We would like to help you as best we can, get you connected with someone that maybe can help you uh, the best way. Or maybe you have a prayer request that you would like to share and, and go out in our weekly uh, prayer email. Uh, the best way to do that is just simply email the church office. You can do that at office at chapelofthelake.org. We'll make sure our staff and elders review that, put that out, and faithfully uh, pray for you, as well as meet as many needs as we can during this time. David ends Psalm 27 with a couple of verses of faith. He says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As we turn our hearts to worship this morning, will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we're thankful that as we come together 
in this virtual space that you are sovereign. That you are not only sovereign and in control, but you are good and gracious and loving. Lord, we're thankful for the many people that that make the technology and things happen that we can stay connected, that we understand that it's Jesus who connects us, unites us as we become the body of Christ, no matter where we are, no matter where or where we're not gathered. Lord, I pray that this morning we would be able to lift our hearts up in praise, that we would be encouraged for the message that Pastor Keith brings that we would be able to stay connected to one another during these times. We pray that this morning your name would be honored and glorified. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.
writer of Hebrews shares these words of assurance and comfort with his audience and us. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised, so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. Let us hold fast to our eternal Savior, who is our anchor in any storm.
You know, in this time of uncertainty, when the world is going crazy around us, it's great that we found a way that we as a church family can still be together this morning. And I know if you're like me, sometimes it's the words of a very familiar hymn that can speak to your heart in a way that sometimes words spoken can't uh, do on their own. So we're excited this morning that we have an opportunity to have Madeline Wheeler join us and bring you this word of encouragement.
Good morning, Chapel family. We have a very special video for kids and parents that we're going to stream right after this service. It's eight minutes long, and I hope that you'll stay tuned. Don't tune out. Don't turn off. Just hold on and uh, grab the kids at the end of the service and sit down and watch. I think you'll, you'll enjoy that. Wow. What amazing and confusing and unsettling days we find ourselves in. And so I love the words of the song that Madeline just sang, It is well with my soul. Whether our life circumstances are like sitting beside a quiet, peaceful stream, or whether it's like being tossed around in a surging, billowing sea of sorrow, what we learn by following Jesus is we learn to rest in him, to say to God, you've got this. It is well with my soul. So in the midst of this COVID pandemic, we are living with all these uncertainties, but we can know that our God is sovereign, that our God is faithful, and we can, we can listen to these and take heart these words from Psalm 31, the last verse. It says, be strong and let your hearts take courage, all you who fear the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as our great and our sovereign God and King. We rejoice that even when the stocks plummet and, and businesses are shaken and the store supplies run low and the pandemic advances and much of what we call normal life comes to a standstill, you are still on the throne. And we can rest and we can say, it is well with my soul. So in the midst of all of this, Father, help us to live fearlessly and live faithfully for Jesus. Now as we look into your word, meet us here and teach us this morning. This we ask in Jesus' name. And let's join together and let's say this prayer that the Lord taught. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I hope you have a Bible close by as we look to retain some normalcy and we jump back into the study that we've been uh, undertaking here for the last number of weeks, looking at this prayer Jesus gave to us as a model to teach us how to pray. So take your Bible and, and let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 in verse 13. Today, here in verse 13, we come to the last of the six requests of this Lord's Prayer. You will recall that Jesus begins this prayer, as we just recited it together, by addressing and focusing on God as our Father. He is a gracious and loving and compassionate and caring Father. 
And then as we begin to bring our request to him, we discovered that Jesus' priorities for our prayers are actually quite different than our typical prayers. The first three requests of this prayer all concern God, not us. That his name will be honored. That his kingdom will come. That his will will be done. Then as we, came, as we come here to the last six requests, Jesus finally turns the attention of our prayer to us. How, he teaches us how we are to pray for ourselves. But again, it's different than we might think. First, we found a couple of weeks ago in, in verse 11, we pray for our daily bread. Just life's basics, only what we need for life today. Secondly, in verse 12, last week we looked at forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. We pray for God to forgive us in the same way we forgive others. And thirdly and lastly, today we come here to verse 13, to the last of the requests in this prayer. And lead us not into into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The point of this, as we can readily see, is we're praying for protection from sin. Protect us from sin and temptation. But before we dig into this last request, it's worth noting that out of three requests, only one of them deals with our physical needs. Daily bread. The the last two deal with our spiritual needs. I think Jesus is demonstrating that our greatest needs are not physical. They're not our bank account. They're not our 401k. They're not our schooling. They're not uh, even staying clear of the coronavirus. Our greatest needs are spiritual. It's forgiveness from God and giving grace to others. And it's protection from sin. And I wonder, do you struggle with sin? Well, if not, you're perfect. In which case, you need to give me a call. And probably next week, you need to be up here teaching. Because I struggle with sin. I think most of us do. The other thing, if you don't struggle with sin, the other thing is just simply you're giving into it. You've given up fighting it and you're just going along with it. Reminding me of a bumper sticker I saw some time ago. It said, lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into temptation. I can find it myself. As we look at this last request this morning, I want us to note together three keys to help protect us against sin. I find the first of these keys in the very first word of this verse. It's that little word, and. In English, it's improper to start a word with or excuse me, to start a sentence with the word and. But it's here for a reason. This little word and connects this request for protection with the request before it, that request for forgiveness. Back in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul spends a couple of chapters explaining to us how we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Not by doing good things or not by being good, 
It's all through faith in Jesus alone. And then he gets to Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, and he asks a question that maybe you've even heard someone ask before. The question is, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, since salvation is by grace and not by works, and so if I've trusted in Jesus and received God's grace and I'm saved, then why not just sin? If I've got the get-out-of-jail card free, I don't have anything to worry about. Then why not go and do anything I want? Well, Paul goes on to answer in verse 2 of Romans 6. He says, by no means, or some translations say it, God forbid, may it never be. No way doesn't work that way. Let me illustrate why he says that. Going back years ago when my kids were just little guys, I wasn't quite as perfect as I am now. You know how God teaches us through our kids. You know, there were times when dealing with kids, and any of you with kids now, you know how it goes. Man, they're just into stuff, and especially right now, they're all, you're all cooped up in the house, and they're not going to school, and sooner or later, things get a little tense, and on some of those occasions, I found myself getting angry, lost my temper. No, I didn't scream obscenities. I didn't beat them. I didn't verbally destroy them. But nonetheless, I failed to model the example of self-control that I expected from them and that God expects from us. I lost my temper. And on those occasions, I later had to go humble myself, go into my kids and ask them for forgiveness. Forgiveness for my sin against them and losing my temper. You know, they never once failed to forgive me. They were always so gracious. Oh, daddy, you know. Do you think that created in me the desire then to just go out and lose my temper more? Because, hey, my kids don't care. No way. It worked exactly the opposite. It broke me. I sought their forgiveness because I wronged and I let people down and I deep, people that I deeply loved. And their gracious forgiveness motivated me to control my temper Better so that I would never have to go in and ask their forgiveness again. In the very same way, every time we come to God and we confess our sin and seek God's forgiveness and He gives forgiveness, we are confronted again with our own sinfulness and how our sin hurts and offends a holy God, how it offends our dear Heavenly Father. And how gracious he is to forgive us. And so the first key to protect us from sin is to remember and to appreciate the gracious forgiveness that God gives us. Appreciate God's forgiveness. Remember what we are forgiven from. We're forgiven from the ugliness of sin. 
We need to, as we confess our sin, we're reminded how awful our sin is, how offensive it is. We need to remember not only what we're forgiven from, but the, the, the high and terrible cost of our sin. Our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. And then thirdly, to remember what we are forgiven to. God has moved us, the Bible says, from being enemies of his, which we once were, into being his sons. We have a loving relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's what forgiveness has brought us, brought us to. So rather than forgiveness be, becoming a license to sin, what it should be to us is a motivation for us to get sin out of our lives, to be rid of it. Next, we note in this prayer request that it says, lead us not in, into temptation. And I realize that what we're praying is that we aim to avoid temptation as much as possible. And the second key that I note in this is it's we aim to avoid every opportunity to sin. And the way we do that is we begin with it's a preemptive action. Preemptive. We take action before the, the problem comes. I notice that that we pray here for, lead us not into temptation. I go to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 14, and we're not going to turn there right now for sake of time, but we learn there that sin follows desire and temptation. This request seeks to avoid sin by short-circuiting the process, by, by avoiding the step that comes before sin. In other words... We seek to avoid temptation, and if we avoid temptation, we'll avoid sin. It's a rather, rather novel thought. Rather than praying, Lord, help me avoid sin, we pray, Lord, may I avoid temptation. The second part of this, avoiding every opportunity to sin, it's not just a pre preemptive action. There's a personal commitment here. I think there's a presupposition behind this request. If I'm asking God to not lead us, not lead me into temptation, it's presupposing that we're not leading ourselves into temptation. See, that's often a problem with us. We say we want to do right. We say we don't want to sin, but then we like to flirt with it. We like to play with it. We like to, to step up to the line and then step back and then run up to the line again and kind of hover over the line a little bit. We play with crossing the line, but don't actually do it. But then one day we fall. And that's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, it says, make no provision for the flesh. Don't create an opportunity for yourself to sin. You know, if you're struggling with eating donuts, then you don't drive by the donut shop. 
You don't pull up and, and window shop at the donut shop. You go somewhere else. That's it. There's a personal commitment here to avoid temptation. Thirdly, in this making, making every effort to uh, avoid every opportunity to sin, we ask, we pray, and we ask for God's intervention. I note that this request asks God not to lead us into temptation. And if we think about that for a few minutes, we may think, wait a minute, that's a problem. Because if we know your Bible, if you've read a little bit, you may remember over in the book of James, it says this. It says very clearly that God does not tempt anyone to sin. But that's what it sounds like here. It sounds like God don't lead us into where we're we're going to be tempted to sin. But James says, verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So how do we put these two verses together? James says, God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. Matthew 6 says, God don't lead us into temptation. So which is it? Really, the answer to that apparent contradiction is simply an understanding the word temptation. And that they are, James and Matthew, are, or Jesus here, are using them in different ways. We normally think of temptation as being tempted, something that's designed to lead us to do something wrong. And that's the way that James is using the word temptation. God doesn't lead anyone to do something wrong. But the word can also mean a trial or a test or any experience that uh, gives us the opportunity to succeed or fail. A test, just like in school, to see what do we know? What have we learned? And the test can serve to prove or to demonstrate our character as righteous, or it can serve to expose our weakness and our failure. In other words, the request is not saying, Father, don't tempt me to sin, but rather the request is saying, Father, protect me from any situation, any experience where I might be uh, tempted or I might have a tendency to fall into sin. Let's move to the second half of the verse. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yeah, actually, it can be the, the verse can read, but deliver us, literally it's from the evil. It's deliver us from the evil, which can be evil in general, or it can be translated, as some of your Bibles may say, from the evil one. This last phrase indicates to us that we need some help. You and I are not capable of fighting sin alone. We are fighting enemies too powerful for us. And here's the third key. The third key is that we need to ask for God's rescue. To pray, to ask, even as the request before this, actually the first of these three requests about us, they're daily requests every day to pray for the daily bread, every day to to ask God to forgive our debts, every day to ask for God's rescue from sin. 
We, because we need deliverance from evil. We need God's help because our sinful nature is still strong within us. As believers, we still have a sinful nature, the Bible says. But we also, as believers, have a new nature, the nature, a new nature in Christ. And if we will lean on the Holy Spirit that Christ has put into us, we find strength to overcome our sinful nature. And so, for example, in Galatians 5, it says, If we live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We need God's help. Not only do we need God's help in his deliverance from evil, but we need God's help for deliverance from the evil one. That is Satan. We have an enemy who is powerful. One who, as, as Peter says, he goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We need God's power and protection. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, uh, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, if we try to stand alone, we won't do it. We're outgunned. We're outnumbered. We need to stand strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's why Jesus teaches us here to pray that we are, uh, that we are delivered from the evil and from the evil one. Thirdly, I note again as we have noticed in each one of these requests when it comes to these prayer requests about us is that none of them are singular. They're all corporate. They're all plural. There's no I, me, or my. It's only us, our. He says, deliver us from evil. We need to be praying for each other. We are called to pray for one another for spiritual protection. I need your prayers and you need mine. Again, in Ephesians 6, Paul makes this point. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Ephesians six eighteen. Well, Jesus teaches that a great priority in our prayer life should be our protection from sin. This is essential to the first requests of the prayer. Remember, the first requests are that God's name would be hallowed, that uh, his name would be honored, in other words, and that his will will be done in us and through us. For that to happen, we need to be not living in sin, but gaining victory over sin. So let's remember and appreciate God's forgiveness. Let's aim to avoid every opportunity for sin. And let's pray for God's help and for his power to deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning so acutely aware of our tendency to sin. 
And we come to you, our gracious and loving Father, realizing that our sin hurts you and it offends you. And as we have asked for your forgiveness and you so graciously give it, we desire, Father, not to go there again. And so we pray, Father, deliver us from evil. Do not lead us into temptation. Don't let us go into places where we'll be tempted, where we'll sin and we'll fall. So, Father, would you help us even this day as we're at home with family in these days ahead. Father, we will live righteous and holy and godly lives and in so doing, bring you honor. In so doing, that we will will advance your kingdom and in so doing, that we will do your will even here on earth as even right now it is being done in heaven. These things we ask in our name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Folks, it's been good to be together, even though we're not together in the same room. I'm so glad we've had time to worship together and to to study together. Let me encourage you to continue to make opportunities or take the advantage of the time, the opportunity we have with less things to do on our calendars, to take the time to connect with other folks. Uh, Please be checking your chapel email Uh, regularly because we send out announcements there. Also, uh, if you're so inclined, get on Facebook and join the COTL Hub. COTL, just like Chapel of the Lake, isn't that genius? COTL Hub. It's a private group and where we can just talk to each other as family. And uh, so that's going to be an awesome way to stay connected in these days when we can't be gathering. And then uh, also... Uh, just pick up the phone. Use the old technology. Pick up the phone and call up uh, other folks in the church, especially be looking out for folks who are lonely, who are alone, folks who are older, folks who are sick, folks who might have any kind of need that you might think of. Give them a call and just let them know you're thinking of them, praying for them, and see if there's something you can do. And again, any of you, if you know of a need or you have a need, reach out to the church. Uh, 
You can email us uh, at uh, office at chapelofthelake.org or you call us. Um, we we want to utilize uh, all the resources we have in the family to help one another. I know many, many folks have been calling and saying, what can we do to help? And so if you have needs, let us know. There are folks who really want to help. Well, stay tuned. Stay connected. Don't turn off here uh, because we've got a kid's video coming up in just a few moments. God bless you all. Let's end with these words from Titus as our benediction this morning. For the grace of God that brings salvation to all men, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's still on the throne, on the throne folks. Let's keep serving him and honoring him. God bless you. What question do you ask God when bad things happen to you? Maybe you've asked God, why am I sick? Why did you let my friend die? If you really love me, how could you let this happen? I want to tell you about four good questions I've learned to ask God when something bad happens to me. But first, I've got a question for you. Do you believe I can cut a hole that's bigger than my head in this little piece of paper? That sounds impossible, doesn't it? Do you believe I know how to do that? I know I can. Watch and see. It's hard to believe someone can do something that seems impossible. When bad things happen to us, it can be hard to believe that God, our creator, really knows what he's doing. I want to tell you about four questions that have helped me believe my creator's promise that he really is doing what's best for me. The fact is, I'm very sick. I don't look very sick. In fact, I usually don't look sick at all. But I have a sickness that really hurts and makes me feel sick all the time. Some days it's much worse than others, but it never stops. It hasn't stopped in years, and sometimes it hurts so bad. I'll lay in bed crying and begging God, will you please just make it stop? But it doesn't stop, and sometimes it gets worse. It seems impossible that this could actually be what's best for me. It looks like God doesn't know what he's doing. You might look at this paper and think it doesn't look like I know what I'm doing. Is this hole bigger than my head? Nope, <laughs> not even close. It looks like I don't know what I'm doing because I'm not finished yet. Sometimes it looks like God doesn't know what's best because I can't see everything that he's planning to do. But the Bible says this God, his way is perfect. So the first question I've learned to ask God is, Dear God, will you help me believe you know best? I ask God this question every day. He helps me believe his ways are best, even when it doesn't look best. One way he's done this is by helping me learn and remember his promises in the Bible. This helps me believe God never breaks a promise. I memorized one verse that says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. He knows how to do what he says he will do. Being sick has made me think about the Bible way more than I ever did before. This is a good thing because it has helped me get to know God better and getting to know God is what's best for me. But I'm still sick and it's hard to be sick all the time. This sickness makes me extra weak and extra tired all the time. 
I can't do things that normal healthy people can do, even easy things. I sometimes have to use crutches or a cane when I walk or if I just know I'm gonna be standing up for a while because I'm not strong enough to stand or walk very far on my own. Before I got really sick, I was leading Bible studies, teaching Sunday school class, teaching Awana, leading after-school Bible clubs for kids, and even teaching missionaries how to tell kids around the world about Jesus. I've asked God, why would you let me get so sick that I'm not able to do good things like that? It doesn't make sense to me. Just like looking at this paper probably doesn't make sense to you. If I open it up, it still looks like I don't know what I'm doing because I'm not finished yet. God's ways don't always make sense to me either because I can't see everything he sees, but I believe he knows best. So instead of staying sad about what I can't do or getting angry that I don't understand what he's doing, I ask him, dear God, what do you want to do in my life? I can't do things the same way I used to. Every week, my own plans fall apart because I'm too sick to do what I was planning to do. But God is still working in my life. While I've been laying sick in bed, I've had the time to study and learn how to build a website. I've learned more about how to draw pictures. I've learned more about how to use a camera to make videos that help kids learn about Jesus. God helped me begin a ministry called Kids Enjoying Jesus, where I write down the ideas he gives me and use my website and videos to share them with parents, churches, and teachers who want to tell kids about Jesus. I can do this even when I'm too sick to get out of bed. I'm helping people I never would have helped if I hadn't gotten sick. Of course, I still really want to get better, so I've been to lots of doctors and we spent lots of money on tests and medicines trying to help me get better. But so far, it hasn't worked. And some doctors have even told me that they think I'm making it up because they can't figure out what's wrong with me. That's hard. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever get better. I don't like feeling sick and hurting all the time. Sometimes it makes me want to complain. Sometimes it makes me want to have a bad attitude. And it makes it really hard sometimes to be kind to others when I feel so sick. So I have to ask God, dear God, will you help me obey you today? Instead of responding to my problems with anger or complaining, I ask God to help me be patient even though I don't feel like being patient. He helps me remember and thank him for all the good things he's done in my life every day. It's hard to be sick, but God has the power to do good in my life by helping me obey him no matter how I feel. He is using this sickness to help me learn to obey him and trust him even when life is hard. This sickness has been a very hard thing for me to go through. Sometimes it even seems impossible, but the whole time God has been working in ways that I can't understand or see to do his good work in my life. That might seem impossible, but God knows how to do it. You probably didn't see a way that I could cut a hole bigger than my head in this small piece of paper, but I knew I could do it. God knows he can use bad things for good. There's a promise in the Bible that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who've been called according to his purpose. He promised to do what's best because he knows he can do it. I proved I could cut a big hole in that little piece of paper by doing it. But God proved he knows what's best by using the ultimate bad thing to do the very best thing ever. Jesus, the perfect son of God, left heaven and came to earth where he suffered horribly. When my life seems really hard, I ask God, dear God, will you help me think about Jesus now? 
thinking about Jesus gives me hope. He had a perfect life in heaven where he never got hurt, never felt sad, and never had bad things happen. But Jesus left all of that and came to earth where he felt sadness, pain, and even the punishment for our sins when he died on the cross. That was bad. He didn't deserve this. I did. Because I have sinned against God. I'm the one who deserves to die and be separated from God. But Jesus took my place. Then he came back to life on the third day and made the only way for me to have life with God that lasts forever. Where I'll never be sick, I'll never hurt, I'll never feel sad, and I'll never cry ever again. That's the best thing ever. And God used the terrible suffering and death of Jesus to make it happen. Because of Jesus, I know God can use awful, horrible, bad things to do awesome, amazingly good things. And I know that someday, because I have believed in Jesus as my Savior from sin, I'll be with God in a place where there will be nothing bad, nothing unfair, nothing sad, and nothing painful ever again. This does not mean all my problems go away right now. I'm still sick. And I might be this way for the rest of my life. I don't know. But even when I don't understand why bad things happen, I believe God is good and powerful enough to use even the worst things to do good things that are better than I can imagine. He is my creator and I believe he knows best. Thanks for watching.